okay, it's not a real elephant, but we are in elephant territory. That's because we're in a city called Tongu. It's a funny name, Tongu. It's in the country of Myanmar. And you're thinking, Jeff, what are you doing in the country of Myanmar? Well, you probably guessed it by now. I'm here because this is also one of the locations for a Project Nick shelter. In fact, it's one of the biggest shelters that we have. It started a few years ago with about 10 kids, and now there are 115 kids who are a part of this shelter. That's 115 kids who don't have moms and dads, but now they have a safe place to live, a place to be cared for, a place to hear about Jesus. So today, we're gonna to take you on a journey there. I'll show you the shelter. You'll get to see some of the kids. It's gonna be a good day. All right, guys, so we're getting close to the shelter. This is Spurgeon. Yes, I am Spurgeon. And he is uh, the one who, who uh, leads the shelter here. He is the one who had the heart to see it begin, and uh, he is the one who directs uh, all the ministry here. So we're just about to turn the corner, and you're going to be able to see taken a couple of weeks to, um, to tell you how you could be a part of something really practical in joining the reckless love of God. And so in your guide that you got when you came in this morning, there's a sheet that says Project Nick at the top of it. And um, that's, that's what uh, this is all about. We, uh, as Heart of Life, have four shelters, uh, Myanmar, India, China, and which one am I forgetting? Nepal. It's the new one. And so we have four shelters around the world that take care of kids. Some of these kids, like the ones you just saw, most of their parents die in the Civil War that happens in Myanmar, or at least their dads die, and then when moms remarry, the new dad says, I don't want you. It's really typical in a lot of cultures around the world. And so they have no place to live. And so they live in Project Nick shelters. We support them, and we're able to feed them and clothe them and shelter them and give them an education, and most importantly, we get to tell them about Jesus. And so we've come to a time of the year where we are encouraging you to consider being a part of sponsoring one of those kids, helping us to sponsor a kid. On the sheet that, that you see, um, for $444 a year, we can do all that. $444 a year per kid, we can feed them, clothe them, shelter them, give them an education, and we get to tell them about Jesus for an entire year. That's kind of crazy. And the beautiful thing for us is we've been blessed with a partnership with an organization uh, called Orphans Hope World Mission that every kid Heart of Life sponsors, Orphans Hope will match with another sponsorship for another kid. So I told you last week, we got about 175, I'm going to say 176 today because it makes the math easier, all right? 176 kids, and it can be, give or take, at any given moment, one or two. 
That means if we sponsor 88, then Orphan's Hope will sponsor 88, and that means all 176 kids are taken care of for an entire year. All right? I want to thank those of you who took the step even last week. Some of you, uh, I know you kind of had to think through some things and what that looks like, but last week we had people respond by making sure that 28 kids were taken care of. 28 kids. That's cool. And so, if you look at that from our side of it, we need 88, right, to kids, to take care of 88 kids. That, that means that orphans, or, or world, uh, yeah, orphans Hope will match us, and then they're all covered. So, we've got 60 more to go, all right? So, if you're praying about that, it can be a one-time 444 bucks, but it can also be a monthly deal. It comes out to $37 a month that you get to be, in a very practical way, a part of the reckless love of God. So even when our time is over today, there's some black covered tables back there in the back. There'll be some folks there with even a couple of computers. They can help you in terms of if, if you're wanting to get signed up, you can do it on your own online. Um, it, it's really up to you. But we're just going to continually every once in a while put this out in front, and um, it is a blessing for us as a church to get to be a part of. I thank you for what you're doing there. A lot of kids are blessed. They really are. Today, I want us to return to our series called This Is What We Do. Anybody remember what this series is about? What's the word? It's worship. We're talking about worship. This is what we do. We all do this, and we all do this all the time, the Bible tells us. We are all given breath for worship. We are made to worship the one who created us. But what we've learned in this series is that because of our sinful nature, we quickly settle for lesser things. Well, today, I want to work through a series of passages. We're not just going to be in, in just one place, but we're going to work through um, a series of texts. And I'm going to start in a place in the Old Testament that might seem a little strange, but it's the book of Second Chronicles, all right? The book of Second Chronicles. Now, I'm sure that all of you who went to silent church, you remember that first and second our secret church. I always say silent. I don't know why I say that. I always, get, I always say silent is secret church. Those of you who are a part of secret church, First and Second Chronicles is what kind of a book? Anybody remember? It's a spotlight book, right? It shines the light back into the books that are right before it, probably given to us, probably written by Ezra. It focuses on the positive things that happen. Like when Solomon and the people of Israel came together to dedicate the temple. They had worked to build this permanent and magnificent structure. It would house the Ark of the Covenant. This is where God's presence would be recognized among his people. And finally the day had arrived for the temple to be dedicated. And this is what we read in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Verse 1, when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. Okay, that's, that's a good day in church, right? Maybe fire coming down. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. All right? Let's keep going. The priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. And when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and they gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good, his love endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. 
So here's this picture. What happens? What happens when you see the greatness of God? These people responded one with a humility because what we say is when they see God's greatness, they are on the ground, faces down. There is this humility that you are overwhelmed with. He is the king and nobody rivals this king. And then there's praise. Out of their humility comes a praise. They, from their lips, their voices, they, they shout, right? He is good. His love endures forever. And then what happens? They sacrifice. They give. I have told you over and over again, it is impossible for you to say that you truly worship God and not give. You can't do it. When you see his greatness, it is absolutely the natural response that will come from your life. Now, I want you to try to imagine this scene on that day Solomon and all the people have gathered. This structure that has been built is phenomenal. This temple required, we are told, 30,000 workers seven years to build. 30,000 workers, seven years. Some of y'all are just trying to figure the labor cost on that deal. We, we are told from Scripture that it is built with more than 3,700 tons of gold. 3,700 tons of gold. It is also built with 37,000 tons of silver. It is an amazing structure. Stones that were prepared in the quarries underneath the city. Huge dimensions of these stones that, 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 are, that are shaped and then they are gradually placed on the, on the massive walls and they're fitted together where it doesn't even require mortar in between those stones. And then, besides just the beauty of this incredible structure, fire falls. And the cloud of God's glory fills his temple. Come on. Your pulse is racing at this point. It is safe to say you have never seen anything like this before. There is part of you that wants to hide your eyes, and then there is part of you that doesn't want to blink because you do not want to miss what is unfolding right in front of you. It feels like a once-in-a-lifetime moment. Could there ever, ever be anything better? God in his temple. Now, would you turn to Ephesians chapter 2? And I want you to hear this text, Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And I'm saying, if we truly grasp the magnitude of what we just read, we would have all just come out of our seats cheering 
10 times louder than we will today when Mahomes throws a touchdown or two touchdowns or three touchdowns or four touchdowns, hopefully, we would have all come out of our seats going crazy because what we just read is absolutely the most amazing thing that we could conceive. Now, through Jesus. Come on, I just read the picture, the the temple and, and all of that beauty and God's fire that falls and his cloud that fills it. And everybody's so overwhelmed that we go, I wish I would have been there. I would have loved to have seen that. But I'm saying, oh my goodness, do we understand what we just read, who we are now through the sacrifice of Jesus, that we are now worthy of being the dwelling place of our God. By the way, the you in that text is plural, but the temple, it is singular. It is this picture of us joined together to form this one house, we, the temple of God, where his spirit dwells. The apostle Peter speaks the same language. Right, so I'm wanting you to see, this is, this is consistent throughout Scripture. The Apostle Peter speaks the same language. This is how he says it in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You also, that's you, you followers of Jesus, you are like living stones. You are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God Through Jesus Christ. Can you see it? Can you you see who you are? Just in case you can't see it, I thought I'd help us out maybe just a little bit today and see if I can help you see it, all right? So, shall we build? So here's the picture. Who's the cornerstone? We're going to let this represent the cornerstone. That's who? That's Jesus. The cornerstone in any building was, was the key stone. When the cornerstone was placed, everything was lined up, everything measured from that cornerstone. It, it might be called the corner, but it is truly the centerpiece of, of any structure that would be built. The cornerstone becomes the key. And then it says there is a foundation, right? The foundation is who? The apostles. So we think of those men that Jesus called to to follow him. We think of guys like Peter and Andrew and James and John. And it says those those men who walked with those who saw him even after the resurrection, we read about it, that they are they are the apostles. And then there was the prophets. All right, so so those prophets who came along throughout the, the, the ages, the Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and all the minor prophets, right? Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, they are the foundation. But then in this building, there are living stones that make up those walls, and that's who? That's you. That's you. That's you. If you are a follower of Jesus, because this Jesus who pursued you with a reckless love, a love that would leave the 99 to find those sheep that are lost, and he brought you in, and he, I'm just building you a partial one today because I'm not going to take the time to build the whole house, all right? But you get the picture. You are the living stones. In, in this building, a temple where God's 
presence dwells. And then, just like in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul takes this a step further when he talks to the Corinthians about this principle. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst. All right, now come on, we're not talking about a building. We're, we're not talking about a, a structure of a building anymore. We're talking about his people, his house, but not to miss the fact that God's Spirit dwells in us. But this time, Paul adds an incredibly critical warning. And this is the warning that he gives. Verse 17. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Here's my question. Does it sound like God is serious about you? Does it sound like God is serious about who we are as his people where his spirit dwells? In our very Western view, we, we tend to view passages like this where the Bible talks about us being the temple of the Holy Spirit. We tend to view it very individual because that's what we do as Westerners. It's very much us, I, very much isolated at times. And, and so we, we often take all these passages as our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we shouldn't do anything to, to you know, hurt the body, hurt the temple of God. So we get very practical and we go, so you, should, you, couldn't, you shouldn't smoke so you don't, so you don't you know, hurt your body that God's given you. And you shouldn't drink too much and you shouldn't eat too much. And you shouldn't all those too muches to, to your body. It, you, you, should, you should be healthy as it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We take it very individual, and, and there's a part of that that is certainly true. But the temple here, it is collective. The temple here, the, the you in this description is not just us as an individual. This is together. It says together you are that temple. And here's the warning. Don't destroy what God says is sacred. Now, when we hear the word destroy, our mind goes to some other places where Jesus made it really clear, ain't nothing going to stop his church in the end, right? Even the gates of hell, he describes, are not going to stand against his church. It's going to stand. So when, when you read this word, it, you really can see it as, as, in a sense, an injure. That if, you, if you injure, if you, if you, you know, seek to, to wound in that way, that, that's, that's the picture that, that we, would, we would get here. It's the, it's the warning. So you remember Solomon's temple, all that gold, all that silver, all those, all those precious stones, all that work, all, all the beauty of that. I mean, do you think there would ever be some point where you would consider um, heading out to the temple with your sledgehammer and take a swing at Solomon's temple? I mean, you think you'd ever head out to, to Solomon's temple and all its beauty and all that's been constructed and you kind of just pick you a spot there somewhere on the wall where some of that beautiful wood has been overlaid with, with gold and you, uh, you grab your sledgehammer and just swing away. We would say, no. Well, here's my question today. Then why is it that so many so-called Jesus followers today seem to not really have a problem doing the same to the temple of God 
called his church. You thought I was going to hit it? If I hit that with this, you would say, whoo, big man, you are working on some cardboard boxes, right? And I would say, um, how much does that look like what happens when we choose to gossip within the house of our God? Again, I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about a family. I'm talking about what God has constructed as his temple with Jesus at the cornerstone, with the apostles and their prophets as the foundation, and with us who are living stones. And, and when we gossip, it's like we swing the sledgehammer at the very thing that God says is sacred. When someone doesn't meet our expectations of how we think we deserve to be treated, and sometimes one of the things we immediately do is we, we criticize, or maybe we're just qu quick to jump on the criticism bandwagon when we hear it, and the truth of the matter is we, we, we don't know the whole story. Can I share something that I've come to realize? Even when I think I know the whole story, you typically don't have the whole story, but the first thing we do is we are quick to criticize, and it's like picking up the sledgehammer and taking it to God's temple, his people. Every time we view someone less valuable than someone else, every time we view someone less valuable than ourselves, every time we size someone up and write them off, it's like taking a sledgehammer and swinging away at the very thing that God says is sacred. What would happen? What would happen if we viewed our brothers and sisters in Jesus as God's temple that he is serious about protecting? What if we took protecting God's kids, his, his sons and his daughters, as serious as God's, God does? What if, what if when, when we hear, you know, something that, that we're, we're, we struggle with, or, or, or maybe it's criticism that we, that we feel towards someone, what if instead of talking about people, we started by actually talking to people? What if we actually went and said, hey, here's, here's what I'm struggling with or here's what I don't understand? What if this was a place where you knew that if you belong to this house, this is how people treat one another? This is how people protect each other. What, what if we all committed no more gossip? No more gossip. Not only would that mean that I am refusing to gossip about others, but it also means that I am willing to stand firm, lovingly saying to those whom I hear do it, not in this house. Not in this house. Not only will I not do it, but I'm not going to stand by and just let somebody else do it. And it's loving. You can do it in a loving way to say, not in this house. That, that's not who we are. That is not what we've call, been called to be. What if our first consideration, when someone does something that's disappointing, someone does something that hurts, maybe even you, what if your first consideration is, I wonder how this person has been treated that would lead them to treat me in such a way. I, I wonder what their insecurities are. I wonder what their temptations are. I wonder what the whole story is as to why they are making the choice that they're making right now. Instead of just basing it purely off of one behavior, one decision, what if when we see someone else's mess, it made us look deeper at the own, our own mess in our lives. 
What if it triggered in us, God, I want to deal with, with the stuff that's in my own life so that I can help my brother who's also dealing with the stuff in his life. Can I tell you that it is not the correct response to say everybody should just mind their own business? It's not. That's not biblical. It is not biblical that everybody just minds their own business. It is biblical that Jesus calls me as his follower to deal with the mess and the stuff in my life in order that I might also help others with the stuff and the mess in their life. That is not judgmental. That is obedience. That is how we love one another. I am not allowed to size you up and write you off. That's self-righteous. I have been self-righteous. You have been self-righteous. We know what this looks like, and when we see it in ourselves, the call is to repent. If my initial reaction to another person's sin is judgment, I have probably never faced my own sinfulness. Because if my heart is like the heart of God, His heart breaks over sin. I am not allowed to size you up and write you off, but I am also not allowed to size you up and walk away. Because that's somehow how, this is sometimes how we solve this. It's like, that's just none of my business. I see what's going on here, and, and that's just none of my business. No, love in this house requires us to act. It is our business. There are moments that we are called to, in a loving way, I'm I'm gonna keep using that word, we are called to confront when we see somebody taking steps that we know is gonna hurt them. It makes me say, hey, am I, are those steps happening in me? And if so, God, I want you to deal with the stuff in me so that I can also help my brother. Sometimes it means we got to approach. Sometimes it means we got to deal with the difficult stuff. This is how we love one another. This love is different than the rest of the world. And this is the unity that so powerfully distinguishes us, the people of God, from everyone else on the planet. I'm going to talk to students for a second. Because I think there's something that students have to deal with that the older we get, hopefully sometimes this kind of subsides. But when you're in school, it is just this incredible battle, you know, of who hangs out with who, who's connected to who, who's cool, who's not cool. Just, just in, in, in student life, there's just so much of that that seems to be a fight. And I, I want to encourage the Jesus followers students who are in heart of life to realize that sometimes I think we have this view, you know, that, that in order to reach, you know, some of my friends who are, who are, who are really cool, in, in order to reach them, I need to figure out how to create some opportunities to, to just reach them, to, to reach the, the cool kids, because they're not going to respond to just a normal church opportunity or function. And, and I just want to encourage you to not put so much pressure on you to figure out how to do that, but that you would believe what the Scripture paints, that what made the church so attractive in the first century was how they loved Everyone. In in other words, sometimes the most powerful way to reach your cool friends is for you to model what it means to love your uncool friends. And when they see you act so weird, I can't believe that you care about him. I can't believe that you care about her. What's up with you? You tell them. It's Jesus. And this is how he loves. And I'm saying, what if everybody, what if all of us, what if we protected the house 
Again, not the building. I'm not talking about the bricks and mortar. I'm not talking about the boards. I'm not, it's, it's, what if we protected the house like we believed what God says about this house? That when it comes to my brothers and my, and my sisters in Christ, this, God says, is sacred. And what if we acted as though it were not just about us? I, I think it is such a struggle for us and when I say us, I promise, I, I'm, 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 I'm us. It, it is such a struggle for us that if we were really, really, really honest, some of us even struggle with this aspect regarding heaven. We struggle with this even regarding heaven. Let, let me show you what I mean. Revelation chapter 5, verse 13, we read these kind of passages about what it's going to be one day, how, how we're going to be apart one day. And this is how it, how it reads in Revelation chapter 5. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, all right, you're in there. All right, that's a whole lot of all of them, and, and we are in there. I heard them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And if we're in church and we read that, we're like, that's awesome. That is so cool. Isn't that going to be great? But can we just get real honest and say that when we're by ourselves, there are sometimes, I think, some other thoughts that go through our mind when we think about heaven. I mean, don't get me wrong. We like the part about no more pain, right? We like that part. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. I'm all up, and that is good stuff. I like that part about heaven. But, but. This part about, like, worshiping God for all of eternity, how, how good can that be? Real, to, to worship God for all of eternity, does that sound exciting? And I think it is simply the product that is simply the reaction of a people, and again, I'm, I'm people, who spend so much of our lives tending to prop ourselves up. Because so much of our struggle here is about us feeling worthy. So much of our struggle here is about us feeling valuable. So much of our struggle here is for us to be seen, for us to stand out. You must be at the top of whatever it is that, that you are pursuing. And so social media, we, we show all the right pictures of ourselves. I mean, we, 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 we paint the picture. And so we read something in, in, in Revelation where, what, is, what am I doing there? I am standing in this massive sea of people how do they, am I, am I seen? Am I valuable? You add to that that we live in a culture that promotes our right to evaluate everything. I mean, we do. We do we have, we, it's our right. We evaluate everything from restaurants to products to services it's our right to evaluate. In fact, they will even send you stuff and say, hey, please evaluate this, right? Please, please tell us what you think. And I'm saying the consumerism that is celebrated in our culture, if we're not careful, we simply transfer that and apply it to the very thing that God has already declared sacred. And rather than living in amazement, at the body of Christ, we critique it. We critique it. And so we go shopping. And we go shopping for the best kids' ministry. We go shopping for the best student ministry. We go shopping for the best teaching. We go shopping for the best small groups, whatever it is that matters the most to us. We go shopping for what we need because the church is here for me and it's consumerism 
But the longer I do ministry, I have also come to realize there is this super sinister aspect of consumerism that I think also has crept in, especially to the American church. You hear people, I'm sure, at times talk about looking for a place where they can use their gifts, right? Looking for a place where they can use their gifts. And I'm saying this is subtle because to be a part of the body of Christ, we are told we do have gifts, and it is key that we use those gifts. This is, this is a part of what it means to belong. But when you hear somebody speak of, of feeling underutilized, my gifts here are unappreciated. And so I will take them to some other place where they will be used. A place where I can lead. A place where I can teach. A place where my gifts will be. It is the need to be needed. And if you don't meet my need to be needed, then I will find, I will shop until my need to be needed is matched. It's consumerism. Or maybe you've run into that person that they, they serve a lot in church, like they're involved in a lot of stuff. They, they, got, they got tons of stuff on, on their plate, and, and you, you care about them, and you look at them, and you're like, you know what? I should step up. I should step up and help. And, and so you, you actually attempt to, to say, you know what, you're doing all this. How about I, I do this? Or how about we, we shift this? Could we, could we take something off your plate? And have you ever seen that person respond in a defensive way? I'm telling you, it is this subtle picture of I need to be needed and doing all these things or how I fulfill that need. If you take that away from me, I am not needed anymore. It is consumerism. It is seeing the church where I get what I need. And when we gather, like we gather today, and we are reminded this is not about me, I am reminded that we get to worship the ultimate someone else with someone else. Is bigger, it's greater than me, it's bigger, it's greater than you. Our joy is not ultimately found by being at the center of attention. Our joy, and we will get it when we get to heaven, I'm telling you, even though we struggle with it now, our joy is not being the center of attention. Our joy is going to be getting lost in that sea of redeemed people, people who have been forgiven, people who have been adopted into his family, people who have experienced such a reckless love that now all they care about is praising the one who gave us breath to worship him. And our greatest joy will be getting lost in that. I'm going to close it this way. When Paul speaks to the Ephesians about his privilege to speak, to preach, to teach. He talks about a privilege to teach about what he calls a mystery. A mystery that he says for ages past has been kept hidden, but it's now revealed. And this is how he describes the mystery to us in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. He says, this mystery is that through the gospel, that's the good news of Jesus, Jesus died for our sins, was buried, rose appeared to many, through this gospel, the Gentiles, all right, that, that's those who are not Jews, those who are not God's chosen people, right, that, that's, that's us, the, the Gentiles, we are heirs together with Israel, members together of one, one body, 
and sharers together in the promise of Christ. He says, look, that's the mystery. That's what nobody saw coming. Everybody recognized that God chose this people Israel, and God's revealing how he loves. He's revealing who he is, but the mystery that was kept hidden by God, but it has now been revealed through Jesus, is that that love of God, it is for the whole world. And even those of us who are not Jews, we, we are Gentiles, we are on the outside, he has reached out with a reckless love, and he has drawn us in. He says, that's the mystery that nobody saw coming. But now, he says, that's what I get to preach. Now, watch this verse. Chapter 3, verse 10. His intent, that's God, was that now through the what? The church. This, this temple where his spirit dwells, now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known, you ready for this, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Now, if you've never seen that before, here's what I want to just introduce to you. You ever heard the fact that Jesus said, you're the light of the world? You are. You are the light of the world. As you follow him, but I want to go a little bit further what the scripture also says is you are also the light of the cosmos with a spectacular mission of revealing the wisdom of God, the Bible says, even to supernatural beings. Okay, now I'm okay if I'm messing you up a little bit here. You can study it on your own. But here's what he's saying. Our target, our target as the church is even to demonstrate, the Bible sometimes refers to powers and principalities, right? They are, the, they are the forces in the heavenly realms. He says, our target is to demonstrate even to the evil powers of the cosmos that our God is wise. He is wise in sending his son to die that we might have hope and that we as a unified body, the church, move forward on the mission that he has called us to. He says, that's our target. When we love one another, when we are one in unity, when we protect the house and say, this is how we love. It's the way our God has loved us. We are declaring even to the supernatural beings in the heavenlies that our God is great. But when we don't, when we fail, when we are not unified, when we gossip, when we hurt, it is as though we are signaling throughout the galaxies. Our God's purpose is failing. He was not wise. He was not. He was foolish. Maybe by now you're thinking, Jeff, I thought you said this was about worship. And I'm saying it is. Because the questions we always want to ask when it comes to worship is, how come people don't sing more? How, how come people don't sing more? How, how, come, how, come, people, how come people aren't friendlier? How, how, come, how come people aren't nicer? How, how come they aren't friendlier? How, how, come, how come more people don't respond in prayer? You know, like when we, when we get that time, like people can respond, and you would think that, like, we probably got thousands of things in this room that are on our heart. How come we don't, how come we don't openly, like, pray more like that? How, how come people don't give? Like, how come we struggle? How come we struggle? And God's given us so many different missions around the world. He's given us so many different opportunities, and we struggle to give. How come, how come people can't see it? I'm saying this has everything to do with worship. Because my question is, could it be that at the heart of it all, we have lost sight of who is at the heart of it all. And we have exercised our rights as consumers, and in doing so, we have missed the heart of God. We have missed a reckless love that chases me down and fights till I'm found. He will leave the 99. A love that is overwhelming. A love that is never ending. It is the reckless love of God. It is a love that he has for his temple. We 
will protect the house. God, I'm asking. I'm asking that we could be a people who love like you love. And God, there's no question. I mean, I, I God, all of us across this room, we, we, we have done it. We have been there. God, I, I, have, I have at times been quick to criticize. I have been time, times too quick to, to make judgments. God, there, there, there have been times that, that I've gossiped. God, that, that we know it. We know in our lives, God, we, it is not an if. God, we have done it. And I pray. I pray that a glimpse of your greatness God will constantly call us to repentance. And a glimpse of your greatness and how you love your church, God would stir in us a love for your church. God, it would make us want to reach out to each other. It would make us want to line up shoulder to shoulder in life teams who will battle for the hearts of our children of our marriages, God, it, it, it would make us. God, want to, to give of our resources to see, God, your greatness seen across this globe. God, it, it, would, it would make us want to shout, God. God, will you help us to see? Will you help us to see? I thank you for making us your people. Thank you for, for not just, God, setting us on an island. For, God, you have connected us to your people. God, will you teach us to protect the house that your love might be known even across the galaxies. It's in the name of Jesus that I ask you.